All right, what is up team? Welcome back to the show. Today we are doing something a little bit different. I wanted to actually get the entire team on this episode and kind of just go back and forth around some common mistakes we see women making when it comes to physique transformation as a whole. So be that building muscle, losing body fat, just a lot of the common things that we're seeing with new clients starting with us and like weather struggles have been in the past alongside typically like the main obstacles that we're addressing through coaching. So once again, I am joined by Andrea. Andrea, thank you as always for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have all of us on this call. I am too. I have never done a podcast with four people. Um, and I think Julie should be here pretty soon. So we'll also see how this goes. But also, I wanted to introduce somebody who is going to be a mainstay on this podcast shortly. That being Jody Lewis. So Jody, you have been in the background, kind of, you've been doing a lot behind the scenes for quite a while now as both our client success manager and you handle a lot of the admin stuff behind the scenes for us. And then you make my life a lot more organized than it would be otherwise. So first of all, can you just give us a little background on you and basically how you became the client success manager? Yeah. So first of all, I was like so blessed to be a part of this team or asked to be a part of this team. Um, I would say you are right. I probably help organize you a lot um, better than you were. So that that excites me as well. I think it's a skill set of mine. Um, so I was Jeremiah's client and um, I was initially just a um, fangirl, as I would joke, um, just listening to all his content. And one day I just decided to hop on board and I just can't believe the amount of growth that I made, um, not only aesthetically, but really just, just my mindset and how I've tackled things um, and handled my nutrition and fitness since um, no longer working with him. Um, and then he just asked me to hop on board. So I love fitness. I love nutrition. So I do I just assist on the side from my regular job. Yeah. Absolutely. It is so cool to see from your journey as well. Like I know we were talking about Tara who I just, uh, just finished onboarding and it was so cool that I could read through her questionnaire. And I've heard this from multiple people around you just them talking about like, Hey, Jody and I used to basically be stuck in the same cycle <laughs> with our nutrition. And it was like that for a very long time. And then all of a sudden she like had this major change, like her mental shift with it was so crazy. It's so cool to see like how many people your journey has inspired. Um, and you have a, you bring a very unique skill set to the team as well with your background and more like the mental health and the psychology side of things as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. So first I just want to elaborate off of what you said, you know, just as far as my mental shift with, um, training and nutrition. So, you know, I've been pretty active my entire life. I'm in my mid forties or almost mid forties. And, you know, I played sports, I played sports in college, I stayed active throughout, um, really, really was focusing on my nutrition more so like the last 10 years, but it was like that yo-yo dieting, that fad dieting, figuring out what was working, what's not working, um, but nothing was really ever consistent. And that's why I hopped on board with you. Um, and I will say, you know, I always say this to you, you know it, but 
yeah, my aesthetics changed and I've been able to maintain that, but I think I've been able to maintain that because I was able to take accountability on just choices that I was making, um, really understanding my why sometimes. Um, and I think just having a healthy relationship with food and maybe not being so neurotic and so uptight about everything, because that is kind of my, my type A personality in a sense. But um, as far as my career, um, I really do a lot in early childhood development in a lot of ways. My background is in psychology. Um, I'm employed as a school psychologist right now. So, you know, I do the mental health aspect on counseling, crisis management, but um, I also do evaluations um, for learning disabilities, ADHD, um, looking at autism spectrum disorder, those sort of things. But I've had a lot of background in um, counseling. So I do feel like I love that role as far as onboarding new clients, um, but really shifting to on, you know, helping any clients that are stuck, given my background, but also given my history with um, fitness, nutrition, my own personal struggles and kind of being in the background of this team. I love it. And it has been super cool to just even have your input on so many things. I, talk, I know we talk about on our team call and like how we can better help clients. And like when people are struggling with whatever thing, you always have such good insight to provide to that. So again, thank you so much for being here. I'm stoked to finally have you on the show and I'm looking forward to you being on the show a lot more going forward. Um, so to dig into this conversation, which again, we just wanted to make around kind of the common mistakes we see women making when it comes to physique transformation. I really just wanted to, I know we all brought a couple topics to this episode. Um, so I kind of wanted to just riff off of each other. So Andrea, go ahead and take it away. What, if there's like one common thing you see, hit me with the first thing that stood out to you. One of the biggies in training is not taking training or not taking each set near enough to failure within the appropriate rep range. So like somewhere between six and 20. Um, there's a lot of like hit style classes where you would technically get to failure, but it's the wrong exercise that, um, like maybe a squat and press. So, you know, if you think about how much you can press, that's a lot less than how much you can squat. So you might reach failure with your shoulders. It's more likely going to be your cardiovascular system. Um, so just not, I guess that's a two for one thing, not choosing the right exercises and not make, not taking it near enough failure. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I know that was one of mine as well. I know that anecdotally, I feel like typically we see people on one of two ends of the spectrum where on one end, I feel like I've seen more like, it's almost always either, Hey, somebody's taking things too far to where they always take things to failure or it is, Hey, you've like been in the gym and you have like you've been training but it's like okay I hit 12 reps so i'm gonna stop here and not really considering at all how close you truly are to failure right so typically i feel like people fall on one end of the spectrum or the other i don't know if you've noticed this as well andrea but and i think you were kind of alluding to it what you said there typically what i've seen is when we get to like understanding this concept of RIR and rest and reserve and like how important it is to push close to failure to stimulate muscle growth, typically it seems like people are a lot quicker 
at like taking their upper body movements to failure when it's like with the lower body movements, Hey, we still have a long ways to go here. Like you could add a lot more load. Have you seen that a lot as well? Yeah, for sure. I, and I am, I notice this in myself too, like pressing movements, especially are so easy to take to failure because you're just like, for Mm -hmm. the most part, extremely stable, like on a chest press with a, with dumbbells, you can like, that's the only, um, variable is how close your muscle is a failure but like with a squat you have all kinds of other variables you have uh, more impact to your cardio system you have your core you have like the fatigue of your upper back holding the bar Um, there's just all kinds of different things plus it just gets extremely uncomfortable with your lower body like things start to hurt and get uncomfortable way before your actual muscle gets to the failure point so i think that that is probably the biggest difference between upper and lower body on that. Oh, absolutely. Especially with like, you nailed it with like, and a squat is a movement where like a barbell back squat, of course we want to be careful, like actually taking that to failure. But again, like with lower body training as a whole, like actually simulate muscle growth, we probably want to be three reps or less shy of failure. So, I mean, I know like informed video feedback, that's like one of the most common things that I'm telling the women we're working with. It's a lot of times it is like, hey, this Romanian deadlift, that's a super common one. And a lot of times part of the issue is too like, hey, maybe you need wrist straps so you can actually hold a weight. Like, because otherwise grip will just give out so quickly. Most everybody's going to get to a point quickly where they need wrist straps to effectively do a Romanian deadlift, I would say, unless you're doing like an over under grip. But I think Romanian deadlifts and then like, uh, man, I don't know if it would be like a squat and lunge pattern or a hinge pattern. As a whole, I feel like just lower body. It's a lot easier to be like, okay, I'm feeling tired. This is getting kind of shitty. Like I'm going to stop now when it's, we have to truly gauge, like, are we actually taking this within a few reps try a failure? Because straight up for most people, it's just going to suck a little bit more with lower body, but you're going to get the result. We have to kind of take it there. Yeah, and you may have already said this because I lost sound for a second on here. But, um, <laughs> that's why, to me, that's why exercise selection is so important. Did you did you touch on that? Because I didn't. No. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So um, with that, there's just so many exercises. Like, let's say um, the back squat versus a hack squat. In a hack squat, you're completely locked in. The only variable is like your quads. Um, or your, the muscles that are lowering and and raising you. So in like in that movement, and if anybody hasn't seen that machine, you basically put your shoulders under these big pads, there's a big um, plate that you put your feet on, you unlock it and that lets you go up and down. And then it's basically kind of like a leg press with your upper body moving instead of your lower body. Um, so you can just keep going without fatiguing any other muscles. With, uh, until like you're done with something like a back squat. Like I mentioned before, there's just so many other variables. So exercise selection, that's one of the things that I've really changed my mind on and learned <laughs> a lot about in the last like two years is sometimes like the big compound movements aren't, <laughs> aren't necessarily the best. And for the most part, it's because it's just so much simpler to take things to failure to the failure point with the target muscle with something that's made for doing that like a hack squat or like a leg press or like extension something like that 
That is such a good point. And I know that's something that both of us do very much from an exercise selection perspective for a client that might not be experienced in like getting as close to failure as they need to. Typically we try to set it up to where like you have to think as little as possible to do the movement correctly. So like, that's a perfect example of like, okay, if you are a beginner client and you don't care how much you can back squat, you just want to see your physique change. You want to get leaner. You want to build lean muscle. Um, we'll almost always err towards that option where it's like the hack squat. Okay. Just like basically push your feet here, hit this step. And then like, it's pretty hard for us to not do this correctly. And you can just focus on the output rather than stabilizing and all these little nuances. And then over time, like for a client like that, then over time, like as they get more skilled, we can get more complex. But I think like that, that's such a good point, especially if you're somebody that's struggling to take it there, it might be a good idea to actually regress to like simpler movements because also it is easier to like, I would say even from a like, mental perspective, it's less fatiguing, at least for me to take like a hack squat. It's literally, or like a leg press, it's literally less fatiguing to like take it there, but still get a good idea of like, what that feels like versus like a back squat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool, cool. Jody, did you have any hot takes on that? Yeah, I mean, you guys, I feel like you guys are the pro. I just kind of come with what I've learned from, you know, the content that I follow, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about too, when we talk about exercise selection or even going, I think more so for me, which I've, I've noticed in myself and feeling fairly experienced, but even if I have friends come over that aren't as experienced, um, I think you're, you're sort of your brain or your, um, your emotions, all of that stuff kind of gives out before actual, like the muscles that you were working And, you know, I had a friend come over, um, pretty recently, she, she drops by every once in a while. And it's, it's fascinating where I'll watch her do, um, whether it's just like, you know, an overhead press and she wants to pick up the 10 pound weights and, you know, I watch her just rep through them so easy and it's, you know, it's that fear of going higher, but also that fear of pushing through, um, and then wanting to see them, their, their emotions, they're kind of, they kind of give up before their actual muscles do. So it's, it's fascinating to watch that in other people. Um, but then also the pride you get when you're like, wow, I actually can do more than that, or I'm actually more capable. So building upon that. Um, and then, you know, you guys talk about it a lot, but even, so I'm 44. I have done like, I've run half marathons, you know, I've done like the whole cardio thing. I've done P90X. Um, I was really big into CrossFit for a while. And it's really interesting because I feel like I've always been in shape, but now, you know, really looking more into physique development, I just feel like my body looks the best it ever has. Um, so, you know, I guess it depends on what, you know, what you really are going for, you know, for me right now, just that high intensity is just, it's, it's not gonna, it's not my goal right now because I really am looking for longevity. But, um, I think when we talk about exercise selection, you know, it's just, it's important for physique development and goals in that sense. Oh, absolutely. I think Andrea was the first person I heard say this, and I really like the way she put it. Whereas if you just want to basically create a smaller version of a body with the same shape, just focus on fat loss. Now, Andrea, I'm sorry if this wasn't you that said this, but I'm pretty sure I heard you say this. I was like, I really like that. 
But if you want to actually, okay, weight loss. There, there we go. Yes. But if you want to actually change the shape of your body, then again, we need to focus on building muscle tissue, which as you mentioned, Jody is going to be most effective with like us choosing the right exercises for hypertrophy, rep ranges, proximity to failure, et cetera, right? Like if you like intensity, you like just feeling tired and that's the main thing you want out of this, like CrossFit or HIIT classes or P90X is great, but it's not going to be the fastest way to actually get like those aesthetic changes. So I, I really like that. I really love the points from both of you there. Uh, yeah, and I also love not being dead on the floor anymore. You know, we talked about <laughs> it the other day. You were asked how my training was going, and I'm like, there are some days I don't work up a sweat, but I mean, but my heart is pumping from like, you know, like a mile rep or you know, superset or right. you know, that's that's like my cardio now, and it feels good to get that pump. But it's, I mean, I used to be like dead on the floor for like five minutes, so it's it's really nice to not not have to do that anymore and still and get even better results. I love it. Have either of you ever done? a split, like a set of split squats and then just like been hit with this wave of emotion. Like you just feel like you're literally going to cry. Has that ever happened? I like actually have this thing. <laughs> when I remember when I was working with Steve Hall, I've had this a couple times where like, I'm, I'm not like a crier or anything, but um, it's literally like I've done a set of split squats and there's been multiple instances and I feel like I just like get with this hit with this wave of emotion. It's the weirdest thing. And I literally like, man, I feel like I'm going to cry right now. Like I'm not going to cry, but it's the weirdest thing. I can't explain it. Anyways, let's move on from that on that note. So, uh, it doesn't sound like anybody else has experienced that either. So no, I think being angry are tougher than you are. <laughs> you guys are both. It's nice when you open up like that so and then there's crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you guys. Anyways, I know when I asked Steve about that, and he's his response was basically the same. Um, but from there, all right, the most common mistake I one of the most common mistakes I see is actually overeating fat and undereating protein and carbs. So basically, I know a lot of times when I'm looking through people's food logs where it's like, hey, I eat mostly healthy. And I would say this is most common for people that haven't been tracking or like, hey, I have these macros and I hit them as like the conversation model on the call. And then it's like um, once every, like maybe two to three days a week I'm tracking. And it's like, hey, I eat mostly healthy. I don't know what's going on. And then when we actually like have clients start tracking consistently and dig into food logs, almost always what we'll see is like, hey, you are eating a lot of like nuts avocados, olive oil, and like foods that are marketed as more healthy foods, quote unquote. But typically they're just like very calorie dense, very fat dense foods that it might be like, like a lot of times things are that are marketed, like peanut butter is marketed as a good source of protein. When it's like you get six grams for 200, for like 200 calories, right? So for us to get whatever, 60 grams of protein from peanut butter, we have to eat that 2000 calories. Yes. Right. Just the peanut butter. Um, so I, I know that's a common thing that I see where it's like, Hey, eating just like focusing on healthy foods for most people isn't enough. Like Andrea, I'm sure you hear this quite often. Um, but it'll be like, Hey, yeah, like I eat healthy and I still can't see fat loss. And I say like, I would say most of the time it's like, Hey, we need to actually start biasing more protein, the building block of lean muscle. Um, that's going to also burn more calories during digestion and carbs. Those are going to better fuel the way we're training and your recovery actually building muscle. Do you see that quite often as well, Andrea? Oh yeah. 
all the time. I think that the like fad diets or any like wellness people that you see on Instagram, they're, they're much more biased towards fats. Like, like you said, nuts, avocados, chia seeds, like that kind of stuff is basically the foundation of every, um, like foodie type of blog, <laughs> um, recipe. So I, oh, yeah. I don't know how that, I, I, I don't know if it's just like the, all of the, the things that we hear about, like carbs spiking insulin and all that kind of thing. And that is what has shifted everything toward such high fat meals. But, um, yeah, I see that all the time. And it is frustrating because like you are eating healthy because you're including vegetables and you're including those healthy fats. It's just in the wrong proportions and also extremely inconsistent. Right, right. And that's the thing to understand. None of this is to demonize fat. But I will say, and it, like this is all, all of this is, of course, like a lot of this is backed by science as well. But we're also just speaking a lot of like what we see anecdotally. And I'll say, I've ne- I never see a client come in who's like, hey, I'm struggling with fat loss. And we'll see like, wow, they're eating a ton of protein and a ton of carbs, but fat is super low, right? Like, that's, that's just not like something. And there is, it's not to say again, like the most important factor here is going to be overall calories. And this also isn't to demonize fat by any means. We definitely need some fat in order to be healthy. But oftentimes I think again, like that's the problem with us just focusing on eating healthy without considering, okay, what specific macronutrients are coming within this. And then even again, like how many overall calories am I taking in? Yeah. Jody, yeah, I think that. that that is, um, the great thing about tracking at least for a little while is you could just get it. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, driving around and not having a fuel gauge and you're like, well, I put gas in it sometimes. So I don't know what's happening, but it's like, if you don't have a gauge, <laughs> you're not taking any measurements, then you don't actually know if you're, if you're putting the right amount in, you know what I mean? No, no, I love. I, that I agree completely on that, and and you know that's sort of the experience that I've had is, you know, people say, "Well, I'm eating healthy." Well, what does that mean? You know, and right. you know, almond butter. Yeah, I mean, there's it's it's you know it's it's paleo. It's you know it's great in that sense, but it's also like, well, there's a lot of fat in that too. So what does that what does that mean? Um, But I think too, you know, a lot of people don't, they feel, um, you know, tracking seems like overwhelming as well. No, absolutely. But from my perspective, it's always crazy how I think the most important thing here is to like weigh the pain. Like on the initial call with clients, I have this conversation a lot because there oftentimes is pushback from tracking. And I'll, I'll usually frame this as, hey, I get it. Tracking is a little bit more of a pain in the ass. There are other ways to get there. We don't have to track, but realize it is the quickest way to get to the result. Like for us as coaches, if we can actually see your food logs of what you're eating on the day to day, we can so much better help you learn how to fuel your body, how to be more efficient with the calories that you're using, how to improve your health more and basically just get the result quicker. And you'll learn so much about it, right? It's kind of like, it's similar to like the gas gauge analogy. It's kind of like we like set this specific savings goal, but we never look at like how much money we're earning and how much money we're spending, right? We never check our bank account. Like you're so much less likely to get there, or at least it'll take a lot longer. Um, so I'll normally like weigh out. Okay. So on one end we have, Hey, the pain of changing is I have to track my food on the other end. We have, okay, 
if I don't do that, then I'm changed. Like the other pain, the pain of saying the same is literally just stay stuck where I'm at right here, right? So a lot of our clients eventually transition away from tracking. But if you're willing to do it for three to six months, like you've been trying to get out of the place you're stuck in for years, right? Is doing this for three to six months worth that? And I think like when you can look at it like that, it's such a helpful thing for most people. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a client about this earlier and she's like, I don't know how to transition back to not tracking because, um, anytime that I've lost weight in the past, I have gained it back. And so where right. the whole picture was like a, a reverse diet conversation, but, um, with regards to going back to I think we lost Andrea. So, <laughs> what Andrea sounds like is having some sound um, difficulties okay. there. Okay, I've been tracking this breakfast for six months now, and I know that it has X amount of calories and X amount of protein. Um, and then you can look at different foods and sort of know what's in them because you've been tracking for so long. So it's like if you go straight to intuitive eating without ever having measured anything, then it's uh, you're just going to be lost. But intuitive eating after you've had a foundation of tracking things for a while and you know what does well with your body and you know um, you can sort of eyeball portions of things, then you can go forward with that. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's basically like tracking is the quickest way for us to teach you the habits you need to have in place, like building your meals around protein and fibrous carb sources and understanding filling foods and all these different factors that when you do want to transition to like more quote unquote intuitive eating, which I would really call like habit based eating, right? Like, you know, intuitively, like I drink a bottle of wine every night, Um, (laughs) but that's not necessarily what's actually best for me right but like you understand these habits and the different structures that we need to have around this so i love that point um moving on jody did you bring topics to this i don't know if i actually told you to or not jeremiah i am always planned i figured you would be prepared ahead all right what do you got for us so i sort of assumed we would have a lot of similarities. Um, for me, I think one of, um, the pitfalls is really, um, lacking patience. So I think clients not having patience with the process, um, wanting immediate results, you know, I think even on some of like the initial calls, you know, they want to drop 10 pounds in one month. Well, it doesn't always happen that way. So, you know, one of the things that I was taught with coaching is, um, you know, the preparation, you know, preparing yourself for if you're going into a cut, if you're going into a build, what is that going to look like? And how do you prepare yourself? You know, I think mentally for that, but even, you know, with, with food and what you're eating and what you're going to buy. But, um, I think just general patience, you know, when people don't see results instantly or, you know, the, the scale goes up or whatever it is, um, they don't stay, stay the course. Absolutely. Do you guys experience that with any of your clients through coaching? I know a lot of times on the initial call, basically how it will go is, Hey, I want to keep doing the same thing that I have been doing, but because I'm paying you and like, this is something we always straighten out on the initial call. I think that's super important. But a lot of times initially it's like a, Hey, I want to keep doing the same thing I've been doing, but because I'm paying you, 
I want a different result. So like if it's, let's say it's a woman that's been dieting for years and years and years and like, man, I always struggle with regaining the weight. I feel like I've been dieting for forever. A lot of times it will be like, hey, no, like we, this is actually too. So we have to like kind of set aside the short term for the long term, right? Like, so for you, I'm going to tell you right now, we need to take some time away from dieting. You probably actually need to focus on building. You're probably not going to lose a ton of body fat for the next three to four months. We're going to focus on adding new muscle. We are going to make sure that your body is actually in a good place to diet. And then when we get you back from the diet, you'll respond better. You'll probably see quicker results and those will be more sustainable. And you'll like the way your physique looks at the end of the diet more. Now, on the flip side, what we could do is, yes, we could continue to do what you're doing right now. We could continue to diet you down. And like over the next 30 days, that'd be more immediately gratifying because you probably would see the scale drop quicker. But in a couple months, when you're right back where you were again, like you just kind of repeated that cycle which you've been stuck in, right? So I really, again, like think it's looking at the long game. Now, straight up, I'll say like some people don't sign up for coaching because we have a conversation. It's like, uh, that's not necessarily what I want right um what's your take on that andrea yeah i I think that you guys nailed it with all of that um it's just it's so hard to think ahead a year rather than the next 30 days i i like we all get that we're all impatient (laughs) um oh yeah that's just human nature like nobody wants to think about saving for retirement whenever they're at 25. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Like you, it's, um, delayed gratification. So if you can invest in yourself for the next year, that result is going to last a lot longer and be a lot more aesthetically pleasing than anything that you can do in the next 30 days. So I'm just reiterating what you guys said, but I think that that's so true. And just to add a little bit more on that too, is you know, you know, right now I'm in a building phase and I'm already mentally shifting. Like when I go into a cut and one of the things that's like beneficial for me as well is it is really a short time frame, you know, and there are a lot of times, whether it's whoever, if I'm working with a client and it's like in 10 years, that's going to be a blip on the radar, right? You know, three months Mm -hmm. of dieting, one year of dieting for, you you know, it's really a small time frame. It seems exorbitant at the time because you're putting a lot of energy, it's your focus, but, you know, at the same time, it goes by so quick and it, it feels good to just get it done and over with too. Right. And, and with that patience with, you know, whether it's three months or six months or whatever that time frame is, you see those results, it happens and it really is about longevity, right? You're going to maintain right. that is what the hope is. But, um, I always look at it that way too. It really, it may seem like a long time, but it, it really it really isn't in, in in the grand scheme of your life. Oh yeah. And I look at it as taking it a little bit longer to do it right. So that you don't have to do it again. Now, like, of course we need to take that with a grain of salt as well, because I mean, like all of us, the reality is most people that get into this want to continue to see progress for the rest of their lives. Like you said, like Jody, you've gone through balance phases, you've gone through building phases, and cycle back and forth between those. But I mean, especially if we're talking about like 
hey, I have 30 to 40 pounds to lose, or like, let's even say like 15 to 30 pounds to lose. And I don't feel great. I don't feel super lean. Like the almost epic journey that typically that first like big fat loss phase to get there is like, that's the only time we have to do it if we do it right. But again, if we just focus on this quick fix, that's why so many people have like every January I lose 20 pounds. And then by June, I've gained it all back and like live in that cycle. Because again, like if you took a little bit longer, if we did this the right way and actually sustainable, so where it was actually sustainable, you wouldn't have to relive that every single year. Um, Andrea, did you put that one out there? Jody, that was you. Okay. No, that was uh, yeah, yeah. What was your next point, Andrea? Uh, well, my next point was going to be eating enough protein, but we kind of touched on that one already. Do you want okay. to go deeper into that one? Or yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, let's let's move on from that one. I think that that's okay. something. I know. I feel like I've just talked about protein so much on the podcast as of late. I don't want to bore people with that one. Um, I know one that stood out to me was attachment to a specific weight on the scale. Hmm. I think this is a big one because I know because we work with mostly women, um, this is typically like what we're going to be speaking mostly to here. And I know a lot of times something that I see is like, hey, when I was in high school or college, I was like this weight and I felt great at that weight. So that's the weight I want to get back to again, right? And but realizing that, okay, what we're doing now is we're trying to add more lean muscle to your frame, right? We're trying to get you a physique you've never achieved before. Almost always what I'll see is like most women actually like the way they want to look isn't as light on the scale as they initially expect. Whereas like most men to like get as lean as they want, they actually have to lose more weight than they would expect. So I think that, that's a very large one I see that oftentimes we're talking through and I know, especially like in a building phase as well, to take it the other way, where it's like, hey, literally our goal in a building phase is to add lean muscle. So the next time you get lean, your body has more shape, you have more visible definition, et cetera. But adding lean muscle literally requires adding weight via muscle mass to your frame. So like literally our goal for you is to get heavier over the course of time. Like every time you're lean, if we're a couple pounds heavier, but you're just as lean as you were before or leaner, that's how we know this is working, right? That's how we know like we're adding muscle and we're changing your physique over time. But I know like that's a big mindset hurdle as well. And I know like this is a conversation I'm constantly having with our clients where it's like, hey, we're in a building phase and the scale's up. It's like, yeah, like I, I know that's scary to see. Even for me, it's like a mental hurdle a lot of times to like, uh, man, the scale's going up. Even though that's what I want, I still kind of don't want it to happen. Um, but it's definitely something I think you have to constantly be focused on working through. Any thoughts on that from either of you? Jody, you're in a build. I'll hear your thoughts on this. Well, oh my gosh. So I have so many thoughts. Um, the first thing that kind of made me chuckle is poor Jeremiah when he was coaching me. Wow, I was hyper focused on the scale. And that poor man, because it, it's, it's, it's kind of like ingrained in you, right? From an early age. It's like, as a woman, you're, you're constantly watching the scale. And I don't know, sometimes I felt it was like a definition of who I was and it would ruin my day. And 
he would have to talk me off the ledge like every once in a while it was just like i'm up and you know i would freak out about it so that was my first thought just initially is how we hyper focus on the scale and it, it kind of like dictates our life and um so in a build and you guys know this i probably like three months into my build and i was like uh i feel fluffy help me how do you mentally get through this um but you know seeing that scale go up as well um, it just feels like the psychological stress on you. Um, but one of the greatest things, I mean, it's great to have you guys to help, you know, support me and friends in nutrition, but I always go back to thinking, um, I have a picture and I would love to show it to you guys sometimes, but it was me at 150 pounds just doing like cardio running, maybe some P90X. And then it was me really prioritizing my fitness and nutrition and understanding training a lot more at 150 pounds where you just see definition, like, comp like I look like a different person. And I actually put like the weights next to each picture to say like, here's 150 pounds, here's 150 pounds. And just how different you look when you have muscle and a little less fat on your body. So um, those are just some thoughts that I have around that. I was going to bring up the whole scale issue as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think for me, once you're in it for long enough, you stop hyper-focusing on it so much and you know, it's just, part of the game absolutely i love the comparison of like actually having the side by sides too where you're the same weight those are like some of my favorites to post because i think that's so because like the former you mentioned where i was like hey i was doing a bunch of i was doing a bunch of cardio and like uh p90x right you might have now i don't know if this is true for you but i know a lot of times in that situation it'll be okay well the thing i need to do is lose more Right. Where it's like, okay, actually you're the exact same weight here. I just have less body fat and I have more muscle tissue, which doesn't just require fat loss, but also probably requires some time building in order to get there. That's just like such an important thing to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Julie, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. We are okay. stoked to have you here. Yay. So for the listeners, we have two first timers on the podcast, both Jody and Coach Julie is now joining us after some technical difficulties. So Julie, <laughs> thank you so much for being here since we are pretty deep into the episode already. I imagine most anybody that follows me on Instagram or honestly listens to the podcast already knows who you are. I want to do an episode with you shortly to kind of intro you as well. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and skip the introductions and get right into any topic you had around the struggles that most or some of the most common mistakes you see women making. So far, we've dug into overeating fat, undereating protein and carbs. We dug into not training close enough to failure. We have dug into not being patient enough and also being too fixated on the scale. Was there anything else that you brought to this conversation that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, probably one of the biggest things I see is that just going to the gym with their program and doing more. So like adding extra stuff, doing more where we have to have a conversation of like, okay, it's not 
doing more isn't better. Doing better is better. So like, let's look at how, what your intensity level. So typically I just see that a lot where women are just kind of going through the motions and like doing their three sets of 10, but like, they're just not pushing themselves hard enough. Um, so then they'll do more and more and more like every machine in the gym and like leave me little notes like, Oh, I did this and I did this and I did this. And so that's one of the conversations I've had a lot lately is just like, we don't need to be doing more because that's what you've been doing in the past. And now we need to do something different. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a big one. Um, the scale was another one that I talk, we talk through that a lot, just with the scale, especially in the beginning, just kind of like what Jody was saying. Um, especially with women that like haven't been weighing themselves on a regular basis. I think that it just takes time to get to the point where you see like the jumps and then it comes back down and then it jumps back up. And then after a while, like you start to just, I think like weighing themselves more often helps because they start to see that. But until we kind of get past that initial barrier, I feel like it's a lot of just talking them off the ledge, like Jody was saying with, it's, we're not looking at the scale from day to day. We're looking at the scale from week to week. We're looking at averages. Mm-hmm. We're looking at trends. We're not looking at, okay, the scale jumped up three pounds in one day. Okay, well, you didn't gain three pounds of fat in one day. So just talking through that and helping them to just be okay with the scale <laughs> is definitely a big oh. one. That's I love that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you put that so well also where, Hey, we're not looking at day to day. We're looking at week to week. Right. And that's why we do focus so much more because it's your fat loss phase, especially women are typically going to be much more prone to water fluctuations than men. Um, especially like if you're not on a hormonal birth control, you're going to see a lot of fluctuations just week to week just due to the way your hormones are changing. Right. And like, even like we're just constantly see so many fluctuations. So like, if you're always focused on like, it's always just going to be a roller coaster for two fixated on the day to day. Right. Like almost always you're going to see a big drop and you're going to be so stoked about it. And that almost inevitably means you're going to have like three to five days where it's like, what the hell the scale isn't moving or it's mm-hmm. up a little bit more. And then almost always like right on the other side of that moment where you just want to be like, what is going on? Typically it's like after when somebody emails me, Hey, the scale hasn't moved for three or four days. Mm-hmm. I'm all, I'll always be like, Hey, this is actually great because this tells us like, we know you've been doing the things right now. This is a different conversation. If it's like, but adherence hasn't been there, but like we, you've been doing things right. You can hit your steps, your training, your macros. Mm-hmm. That's actually awesome because I know that like within the next one to two days, you're going to see a big drop. And that's almost always how it plays out. But like, <laughs> interestingly to me, it's almost always like after somebody sends that message mm-hmm. where you're on the scale, it's literally almost always the next day where it's like, Oh, Hey, I dropped two pounds. Like sometimes it'll be like, I got an email at 9 PM and it'll be like, Hey, the skill hasn't moved the last couple of days. So I didn't even have time to get back to it. And then the next morning at 7 AM, it's like, Oh, never mind. Like everything's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. That's one of the things I remember you going over with me early on in our coaching relationship was just like not getting too excited when the scale does drop because it's probably just going to yeah. <laughs> jump back up and just, you know, being okay with that. But did y'all talk about um, under eating women under, did y'all already cover that? We haven't actually, no. 
Take it away. Now, before we do that, I do want to say this too, because it really resonated with me and I thought it was important, but, um, you know, with going back to the whole scale conversation is, um, you know, the scale would go up and it's common sense, you know, but sometimes you just need to be hit over the head with that. Jeremiah would say, well, it's very likely you did not eat in a 3,500 calorie surplus in addition to your calories. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're right. You know, but it's logic. It's like, yeah. Okay, Jody, chill out this, you know, just stay the course. It's completely fine. But I, you know, I use that with friends as well, you know, so you're telling me you ate, you know, 5,500 calories today and you gained a pound, you know, it's, um, it's okay. It's fine. So, um, just that comment. Yeah. And, and one more quick thing is feeling so neurotic about the scale. At first there was a lot of anxiety about weighing myself just to get that, you know, week to week, like understanding like your baseline and then going from there. I got to a point where it was crazy. Like I was looking forward to weighing myself, whether three to five times a week, because I embraced the fact it was going to go up and go down. And I was Mm -hmm. just waiting for the trend. So as hyper-focused as I was and scared of the scale, all of a sudden it became a a tool. And I was like, okay, it's up. It's going to go up. You know, you just, you embrace it and use it as data as opposed to um, this, the scary thing that defines you. For me with clients, it's been so helpful to give them a list of what can cause the scale fluctuations because the list is like a mile long. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. many different things can (laughs) cause a fluctuation. And like every single time they will pick out something from that list and be like, Oh, is that a dinner two hours later than I typically do? Or I didn't go to the bathroom this morning and that's why the scale is up. So there's, there's so many different things that can cause it. And that seems to be helpful for clients. I like that idea a lot. To Jody's point. um, I think that I've often found like a lot of people will start coaching and it'll be, Hey, I have a bad relationship with the scale. I don't want to weigh myself. So they're weighing themselves like once a week or once a month. And now this varies. Like we're always speaking in generalities on podcasts. So this isn't to say like some people genuinely do have a, like it's mentally not the best idea for them to weigh themselves. But most often what I've found is it is actually like you're only getting that data point once a week. And like, as Andrea mentioned, there's so many things that can cause that to fluctuate. But a lot of times it's just like we're, making that roller coaster even bigger because it's like okay what am i going to weigh at the end of this week right and it's like hey this could be impacted by so many thousands like hundreds of things almost that if we're only looking at one data point across the week it's probably going to set you up to be very frustrated at least 50 percent of the time whereas as jody said when we can just look at it as okay did i actually gain three pounds of fat overnight did i actually eat twelve thousand calories yesterday no okay cool i know that there's water fluctuation then okay cool the next day I'm at a new low, right? Like, but I'm not too excited because I know this is going to fluctuate and it's always going to be like a downward trend. But again, it's up and down, up and down, slowly trending down. That's, that is typically more helpful, I think, for most people than trying to avoid the scale and only weighing like once a week or once a month. Yeah, I would agree with that. I remember like just back from way back when doing like Weight Watchers and a couple other diet programs I did, they were like, only weigh yourself once a week 
Like it was a big thing. Like don't get on the scale every day. It's not healthy. Like weigh yourself once a week at the same day, the same time. So like that was drilled into my brain for so many years. And then when I started weighing myself every day, I realized I was missing these low days. Like I'd have these really low days that I was completely missing. Um, Or then you have like, people that'll weigh themselves every Monday. And it's like, what did you eat on Saturday and Sunday? Like that's the worst time to weigh yourself, at least wait till Tuesday. But yeah, it's like, I felt like I was getting um, just a less accurate result. It was just more frustrating that way. Um, But I just felt like I was, you know, doing something wrong because I weighed myself more than that. So definitely weighing every day. I think just like Jody said, like, looking at as data it's just data it's just so the more data i can have then the better overall picture the more accurate of a picture i'm going to have is that's just kind of how i like to think about it now i love that all right julia i know you were going to talk about under eating take it away so i almost even hate to call it under eating because i feel like almost nine times out of ten it's like I'll look at the food journal and there's like nothing from, you know, Monday through Thursday. It's like calories are super, super low. And this is all I eat. Like I don't eat anything. And then either I, you know, no tracking at all over the weekend, or it's like going out to eat two or three times a week and having drinks. And it's like, so it ends up being this just huge, like you're eating so little these few days. So you feel like you're not eating anything. Like they, they feel like they're dieting, you know, it feels like you're dieting all the time, but really you went out to eat three times and you had alcohol, two of those meals. And it's like, overall, it's averaging out to where you're actually not in a deficit. And so it, I stay under eating just in the sense of, I would say like during the weekdays or most of the time they're under eating and then just this big spike. So just trying to get you know, women to understand, like, if you eat a little bit more during the week, if you actually feel your body a little bit better, especially like the days that you're most likely training during the week, then a, you won't feel like you need to just go crazy when you do go to a restaurant or it's the weekend. And now you're just sick of, you know, dieting all week, but also you'll feel a whole lot better and just get better results. It's just going to be more sustainable. And I think that that's, probably the hardest thing to get clients to understand because they feel like, well, I'm already barely eating anything and I'm not losing any weight. So sometimes just trying to get that message across and even just help them to see like the perception of what is actually happening here is not what you think. It's not what's actually reality. Isn't what you think is happening. I think that that is really common. That's again, so well put. I would say again, like the most, that's for sure the most common way we see like quote unquote under eating, which interestingly isn't actually like always under eating, but that's the most common way we see it manifest itself where it's like, you're so low calorie through the entire week that your body feels terrible. It feels the effects of being in a large deficit. You're not able to build any lean muscle. You're not able to work out or recover. Like we want you to actually change your physique, but Oftentimes, again, like the fact that you're restricting so hard during the week leads to this massive, just like, fuck it for two to three days on the weekend. And then we get to this point where, okay, like we're not really getting the benefits of our training. We're not adding lean muscle. Our body kind of feels like we're dieting almost all the time, but we're still not losing fat. And it's again, it's like just the worst place to be in. 
Um, that was so nicely put. Andrea or Jody, any thoughts on that from either of you? I, I think people, for the most part, think that you can't undo a week's worth of dieting with a couple of weekend days. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the problem is mm-hmm. that they, they think, oh, well, it's only three meals out of the week, but they're mm-hmm. not thinking again, like one restaurant meal is an entire day's worth of calories anyway. And then you have a couple of those plus alcohol, like Julia mentioned, and it really, really adds up fast. I think that's, that's part of the issue is you, they're just like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I dieted all week. Oh yeah. But I mean, and that's, I, I even like to put this as in terms of like on a gradient scale. So I have to do the actual math here. All right. So if we're track, if we're on track, just five out of seven days of the week, there's two days off, which doesn't seem like the big of a deal. That's like any, let's say you nail your macros in those five days. That's still only a 71%, right? Which is a C minus now. And honestly, I think this is the easiest way to like illustrate it. Having some dietary flexibility is important, but I think like to Julie's point, oftentimes what we'll see is if you eat more, if you consume more during the week, it's easier for you to like, okay, go out on a date night and I'm going out with my husband, I'm, but I'm making a solid choice from the menu and I'm able to work in a couple glasses of wine, but I do all this within the constraints of like my macros. And maybe we do have like one to two higher calorie days for the other weekends as well. So again, like we want you to, we want clients to have that flexible side of things as well, but also understanding if it's like, Hey, I'm so low calorie that it just through the week that it sets me up for two days where it's entirely just like, fuck it. I'm off the wagon. I'm eating whatever. It's just two days. Like that's 71% adherence. All right. And if you want, most people want like an A or an A plus result every week. Right. But the effort has to, I don't even want to say the effort, but like your adherence has to match the result that you want. Does, does that analogy make sense? Yeah. yeah to me, so. it's a vicious cycle, right? I mean, it's like sort of binging and recovering and there's like no consistency in that. And then you fall into that pattern. Oh, absolutely. Well, cause you feel so restricted. It's like, I've been dieting hard all week. Now I deserve to like reward myself a little bit and just let loose a little bit when an actuality like, just have a little bit of that during the week, include some of the things that you actually enjoy and eat enough right. where you're not starving. And then when you do go out to eat or have a date night, like you said, like you don't feel that restriction and that like, okay, I have no self-restraint now at all. It's like, okay, I can actually probably order like a decent entree and then maybe I'll flirt on a dessert. Like it's just easier to have some control around those situations if you're not ravenous and just you've been restricting all week, just restricting hard. And then it's like, then you have that really bad weekend, right? Where you have, like Andrea said, it's usually not even one restaurant meal. It's like two or three restaurant meals. And now you feel like, well, now I've got to make up for it. It's Monday. I've got to like pull the reins back even harder. So I'm going to like restrict even more. And it just, it's like Jody said, it's just a vicious cycle. It's just hard to get out of that vicious cycle. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on that? No, but I would love to talk about restricting. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I think that there's pitfalls, like, right, when we're actually in the coaching process. But I think even, like, prior to coaching or doing it on your own, I find a lot of of people I know, a lot of friends, acquaintances, 
you know, they go into sort of that fad dieting. Um, I just, I, I won't say the name, but you know, I have a girlfriend who I love to call her out, call her out. (laughs) She knows, she knows, she'll know when she hears the story, but, um, you know, she is doing keto for like the seventh time. And when she told me, you know, to like, of course I'm supportive because she really is trying to get her health under control. Right. But they're like, I kind of crack a smile and I'm like, it's obviously not working. This is the seventh time you're doing keto, you know? Um, But I think it's like these restrictions, right? And, you know, I know, you know, I usually have some drinks with her, you know, it's like she restricts herself and then she does tend to binge. Or I, my poor 10 year old daughter, the other day we're watching cheer and the cheer girls are doing like a three day juice cleanse. And what? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, like instantly I oh, want to like no. shut it off because I think here's my 10 year old daughter, you know, but, but then here are these college girls also probably following these fads or thinking that this is going to be the right thing to, I think they even said to like restart or reset. And, and you know, I almost went on a whole spiel with my 10 year old daughter and <laughs> I, I pulled back, but, um, I do think that it's very common for women to fall into these fads. Right. And that's such a good point with like your friend that did it, did it seven times or how many people, you know, have like done a juice cleanse and like, Oh wow, I lost 10 pounds in seven days. Okay, cool. Like how did that work out for you long-term? Why do you have to do another juice cleanse if it worked? Right. Same thing with keto. And again, like we go through phases of building a fat loss. So it's not to say like, you'll never diet again after your first diet. Some people do just want to maintain long-term and they never have to diet again. But like some people, again, go through building phases and like, hey, we're going to add five pounds of body fat during that. And then we'll have to cut five pounds off, right? And we'll kind of rinse and repeat the cycle. But it is so important to like, before you go back to something that has like worked short-term, it's so important to ask like, okay, did that really, or basically what am I, what am I going to do after that? I think is the most important thing to ask because it's, again, like, yeah, keto works great for me, but I know after two months, I'm going to really miss carbs, but I really want to lose that 30 pounds. It's like, okay, that's great. But like, are you okay with being in the same place again next year? Or maybe we need to focus on this being a process that isn't so restrictive. So after you lose, you can actually keep it the result rather than just going back to, okay, well, diet is over. That was really miserable, but thank God that's done. I'm just going to go back to eating how it was before, which again, it's like how most people get stuck in that cycle. Oh yeah, that is so common. Yeah, it goes back to the um, delayed gratification thing. It's like, I just want to lose all this weight right now and get that done with. So um, did anybody else have any other topics that they wanted to cover before we wrap it up? I think so. I do have one more. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Take it away. No, you're good. Um, It's from my own experience and I know from friends experiences and being a part of this process, but I think when coaching, um, you know, we talk about this a lot, like how communication is everything. Mm. Um, You know, you hire, uh, hire someone for a reason, but you know, I personalize it in the sense of thinking about it for myself. You know, I needed help. 
Like I needed to be honest with Jeremiah, you know, I needed to work through all of these things and that's what has made me successful in the process, but it's also made me successful as I've left the process. Um, but, you know, I know that that's a big pitfall is, you know, everyone's life is busy, right? And whether it's not checking in or communicating or working past hard times, I think it's just a trusting process, um, you know, when you are in coaching and if you want the desired outcome, it is really working together collaboratively. No, absolutely. And I know I can speak to this quite a bit as well um, because really – like I was just on a conversation the other day with someone and we were discussing, like she had left the previous coaching relationship and it was, Hey, okay. So what is the thing? Like, what do you think needs to happen differently for us to be more successful than your last coaching relationship? And it very much came down to, well, I feel like I wasn't fully transparent with my coach about where I was struggling. Right. Like I was disappointed in myself because I didn't have my macros, but I didn't, didn't communicate with him. Right. And the thing to understand is like, us as coaches, like we, we love all our clients to death, but I, I like to use a phrase like what you eat doesn't make us shit, like literally or, literally or figuratively, right? It doesn't like, so within that, understand like we're not going to be mad or disappointed if you weren't on track. Like there's a reason that people, like if people just needed information, and didn't actually need like somebody to help them troubleshoot all these things. You could just read our blogs or listen to the podcast and get great results. And there wouldn't coaches wouldn't exist, right? Like literally what we're here for isn't to just like, here's the plan, follow it. Like our job is literally to help you troubleshoot all these things that make you fall off. But if we're not in the loop with that, then there's no way for us to help you. And then we're basically just trying to guess what's going on and like figure out. So like, and I know we talked about this all, we talk about this all the time. If a client communicates well, they will get results. But that does very much have to go both ways. As you said, like we'll go out of our way to reach out to you to explain why we're doing, to make sure that everything is super clear. But also like you as a client have to communicate with us so we can actually know how to help you, how to adjust things and get the result you want. Yeah, for sure. I would just say like when you touched on, you know, like a client's word that we're going to be disappointed. It's like, I'm going to be more disappointed if you just don't tell me what's going on. Like I have no idea what's going on. Zero communication or like as little as possible communication. Like I literally can't help you. There's no, I don't know what's going on at all. So I'm going to be more disappointed by that than like, I don't expect you to hit your macros every day. I don't expect you to be perfect. You don't need to be perfect to get good results. But the more you give me, the more you communicate with me, the more I can help you. That's, that's what I want. So I think that's so important. No, very well put. Any thoughts, Andrea? Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. <laughs> Andrea is having some sound difficulties on this episode, but it sounds like we are all in agreement here. So let's go ahead and wrap this up here. Um, I am stoked about all the insight that was brought to this. Um, and for everybody to get to know the entire team a little bit more. So if you would like to apply for coaching with our team, just hit the link in the show notes. And thank you everyone so much for being here. We will talk to you all you guys soon.